Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hey, 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 man, what's going on? Oh, it's hot. Is it? it right it's, from, been, it's been cold here. It went right from cool, too cold to too hot and back to cool. And we, had like, we have like an occasional perfect day, but already it's it's hot. But the, the big news here is this, the massive gardening project is, is well underway. The Hugel culture beds and all the, all the, the community garden beds that Grace is putting in, a big thing, and it's going. Yeah, you've been posting a lot about that on Facebook. Uh, here it's gotten down to like three nights ago, it got down to 39, and the days have been low to mid-60s, and it's going to be 48 tonight. But the forecast for the next few days is that the nights will be getting warmer and the days will be getting warmer as well. So we should be getting some normal weather pretty soon. In all honesty, I'd, I'd if I really could uh, pick anywhere I'd I'd wanted to live, I'd probably prefer the climate there. Actually, <laughs> mm, yeah, it's nice except for winter. <laughs> yeah. So mm. let's see. You've been doing your uh, your gardening. I've been uh, working on a fun little project with a friend. She bought one of those little scamp trailers. They're like thirteen feet long, and you can tow them with just about anything. Cool. She bought an old one. It was a fixer upper, like a seventy eight, like a nineteen seventy eight. And yeah. basically it needed to be kind of gutted. And I mean, the wiring needed to be completely redone. So we're wiring it. Yeah, you, you sent me a picture. You're doing all like, it's all 12 volt wiring. Yeah, it's all 12 volt. Well, there'll be some 120 in there too, in case she has a hookup. Like if she goes to a campground that has a water and electrical hookup. So if she hooks up, her battery that's on the trailer will be charging and she can use AC or DC, you know, if she wants. Uh, it's it's going to be a nice little project when it's done. Uh, it's going to be kind of a cool little thing. I, she paid what sounded like a lot for it because um, I have a friend who paid, you know, only a little more, like a grand more for a 24-foot big towable trailer. But the thing with those scamps is I guess they're really in demand because they can be towed by a Honda or anything. Mm. And even though what seemed like she paid a lot for a fixer-upper, it turns out it was a good deal because she's gotten offers on it already where she could have made a little money, you know? Oh, but, really? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's funny how, like, some of these uh, – you see the same thing with certain cars. Like, they become kind of cult favorites even if they're out of production and they weren't that expensive to begin with. You but used to have, have a Chevy El Camino, didn't you? Me, no. Yeah, you did. You used to cruise with the chicks and go see movies hey. and put a sleeping bag in the back. Now, I, you know what? I, in, my, uh, in my younger days, I was rocking the Plymouth Reliant. The K-Car. Yeah. The car that, that put Chrysler magnet. back on the map. That was a babe magnet, let me tell you, especially when uh, it rusted out and started leaking gasoline all over the ground. That was like uh, <laughs> one of the first government bailouts when the government uh, uh, gave guaranteed loans to Chrysler, which, of course, they paid back. And, you know, That's only true. Saved I had kind of company. forgotten about that. Yeah, Iacocca, Lee Iacocca. For, for money and going on. 
on the on the uh, TV machine talking about how Chrysler was back and stronger than ever. Well, yeah, yeah. And uh, as long as they're employing Americans, I'm okay with that. But if they ship yeah. their production to Mexico or wherever, screw them. Let them fail. You know. <laughs> so what else has been in the news? You know, one thing you and I have never talked about, and John and I would occasionally talk about, is sports. You're not really a geek who likes sports. John and I are big baseball fans, and I'm a big like cycling Tour de France kind of cycling fan. And so I've yeah, really I, been... I see you're posting your your Twitter and your Facebook stuff. You're talking about the Mets a lot. No, I just I don't. I, I just not. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be a hipster douchebag when I say I don't watch TV. You know, but we don't actually <laughs> watch TV. Yeah, but, I and watch I just TV, but. And I just, I mean, we do watch, we get shows. It's not like I'm opposed to TV. I mean, I've seen every episode of Stargate, every episode of Farscape, every, you know, all that. I don't watch um, Farscape. You know why? You hate it? No, I'm just generally opposed to a TV show named after a web browser, so. (laughs) Wait a minute. I have to think about that. Netscape, um, Farscape, anyway. All right, all right. But uh, but no, I mean, growing up, sports were just never my thing. Sports were, yeah. the, in other words, sports were the thing where I always got beat up, picked last, humiliated, and then you know, elbowed in the face and well, left. You know, you know, that's in the, the dirt. funny thing because I was always picked last when we were playing too. But the the weird thing is. You know, I wasn't athletic then, but as I grew and grew in, in like, because I had all those, I'm very tall, right? I had these growing pains yeah. where I grew massively in like second grade. I was a foot and a half taller than everybody in second grade. And it was actually something I was self-conscious about. But like my well, sure. body grew so much, my proprioceptiveness, my coordination yeah. didn't. So I was like this big walking uh, accident, accident waiting to happen, you know? So, but, yeah, you, but, so you finally have grown into your paws is what you're saying? Well, I've grown like, into my body, you know, when I became 16 or 17, suddenly I was really good at sports, you know? Uh, it was weird. Cool. But I'm, I, I am a baseball fan, and uh, the Mets had their first no-hitter ever in the history of the franchise last Friday, so that was exciting. I actually watched the game, which made it even cooler. And yeah. uh, if you don't know what a no-hitter is, it, the other team doesn't hit, doesn't get a hit. <laughs> That one's an no, obvious that's, one. And that's that's fun to watch because that sounds like it would be a really boring game. Well, it's but... kind of boring if you're a fan of the other team. But I what see. ends up happening in, in games like that is usually the defense makes a big play to keep the no-hitter intact, you know, and guys were diving all around and making great plays. So, you know, and then the tension the tension ratchets up the longer it goes. Right, can because say, everybody's... Can, can they really pull it off? Can they really pull off yeah. a no-hitter? Okay, you I know, can and it's that. it's one of those things where baseball's also very... Um, what what's that word I'm looking for? You know, don't walk under a ladder. Um, what's that? Uh, oh, based on uh, superstition. Yeah, and baseball luck, players yeah. are very superstitious. So, and, and as are yeah. the fans. So, when there is a no hitter going, you're never supposed to say it because you jinx it. You know, you can't say don't there's say, a no hitter going. Yeah. So you won't That's hear funny. the announcers say anything. You know, they'll say something like, you know, well, there's something going on which shall not be named, but it hasn't happened to the Mets ever in 50 years. And it's just kind of funny, you know, because I'm not really superstitious, but, you know, I, I would do that just, I, you know, but but anyway, so that was kind of fun yeah. to be a Mets fan and, and experience and witness our first no hitter. Well, that's cool. That's that's cool. I, I could appreciate that. I have been in, I have sat through a couple of baseball games, I saw the Cubs play in like I don't know, God, nineteen eighty or something. I Wrigley was young. at the field, Wrigley, uh, in Chicago, at Three Rivers Stadium. That's Pittsburgh. 
yeah. That's the confluence of the Allegheny, the Monongahela, and the, I forget what other river. So you saw him play in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's the old yeah. uh, Pirate Stadium. Yeah. I think it was there. And I mean, that was a long time ago. And then I also saw the Dodgers play at, at Dodger Stadium. I don't remember who they were playing against. Oh, that's against. cool. Yeah, I've seen, but, uh, um, well, if we're going to go into it, I saw a Hall of Fame game in Cooperstown. I live about an hour from Cooperstown, and a friend had some tickets. And back in the 70s, I saw the Phillies play Milwaukee. That was when Milwaukee was still in the American League. But I've been to Shea Stadium a bunch of times to see games, and I have not been down to the new stadium that the Mets built three years ago called City Field, but uh, hopefully mm. uh, maybe get down there this season. But anyway, enough with the sports. So uh, what else has Alrighty. been going on? Wisconsin, right? The recall Wisconsin. vote. The recall vote. Yeah. In Wisconsin to recall Scott Walker. Scott Walker trying to trot upon workers' rights, collective bargaining, un- you know, he's trying to shit all over unions. Uh, it just makes me, it, it makes me furious. Uh, this is it, this is post-Citizens United reality where the guy who, I think I heard that he raised seven times more money than his uh Democratic uh, opponents. And, well, does that include the money the Koch brothers just gave them? Because I know the Koch brothers threw yeah, nine yeah. or ten million dollars at Walker for him to be able to spend. You know. Yeah, it's just it's just ridiculous. Well, and I mean, then, in, the, know, in the history of recalls, there isn't a great success rate from what I've been reading in, in recall elections. So there may not be a great precedent for recalls being successful. But when you're fighting against Citizen United and all yeah. of that big, giant corporate money, I mean, the Koch brothers are two of the richest people on the planet. And from what I understand, the, the Democratic National Committee and the, the, Nash, the nationwide Democratic Party wasn't throwing any money at the Democrat in there. I... I don't know. I just know that uh, you know they had the union money on their side, and they had a lot of union turnout, and there is a lot of union support in Wisconsin. But it's just you know union membership. Like what did I hear? It's it you know at one point in our history it was like thirty five percent of the workforce, and now it's something like eleven percent. You know, I've, it's I've a, heard it's, it's a, lower than that. I've heard nine percent before. Really. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but it's pretty clear that it's declined a lot, and so they just don't have the political force and and the money to compete with something well, like that. Well, and like many declines in America, it started with Reagan, right? The air traffic controllers went on strike and he fired him. Well, what should have yeah. happened then was the Teamsters and every other big union, which, of course, 30 years ago, there was obviously, the unions were more powerful. There should have been a wildcat strike. They should have called for nationwide trucking strikes. Gen- a general strike. Yeah. yeah like a, all, the, these, all these uh, solidarity strikes. Yeah, but that yeah, just, you know, those like days that. are gone. My, I mean, I grew up in a union house. I grew up in a working class house. You know, my dad worked at a, like it was Bendix when he got hired there in the 60s, you know, an aerospace company. They do lots of machining and they make parts for airplanes. And um, But they're a union shop, you know, and I can, I can recall at least five or six times when my dad's been on strike and, you know, you go out there, you walk the picket lines, you fight the good fight and uh, they always got good contracts out of it, you know. The only time I think I was ever a union employee was way back when I was maybe 16 and working at a grocery store. And, I, you know, as an, as an hourly, I wasn't obviously, you know, that wasn't a very important part of my my job as a, as a high school student. But I did learn some sympathy for them. And a few years back when um, Borders workers were striking at Borders Number 1 I think Michael Moore Arbor, talked about that in one of his movies. Did he, at, at the border strike? Well, yeah, he was trying to get borders in different. Uh, I think the movie was the big one, uh, one of his lesser known oh, okay. movies, and he he was trying to get them to unionize and stuff. 
Well, a few years back, back when this was going on, I was uh, as a big Borders fan back then, and especially a fan of it when it was one store. Uh, I was walking the picket line with my wife and my family, and we would do shifts with the workers because uh, we we knew some of them. You know, we had seen them in that town in in Ann Arbor for you know for fifteen, eighteen years at the same location. And it was just heartbreaking the way they were being treated, you know, very, very discouraging. Well, I've never actually uh, been a union, been a union guy. I've never had a a job in a union. But my brother did a grocery store thing where he was uh, a union. He had a union and it actually got him a big settlement because they he was wrongly terminated. And after a, Mm. a hearing or a trial or whatever it was, you know, he had, they had to give him all his back pay and extra money and, and uh, uh, severance and all this, that, and the other thing. And they would have had to have given him his job back, but he didn't want it since he, you know, was treated poorly. So then they had to give him severance in addition to the back pay. And so, yeah, I mean, unions, unions are a good thing. And I mean, you know, it looks like the only reason the Koch brothers want to fight this is because it just, it hurts hurts their bottom line. You know, if they can get away, with having to pay their workers less, they can apply more to their bottom line and show their 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 stockholders more profits. And it's it's just it's frightening, you know. This path we're going down just scares the hell out of me. And then it gets into the uh, the contempt that we are starting to the, to hold that that the general populace is being taught to to hold for um, the public sector employees for teachers for you know I was just out driving today and we went by uh, a team of uh, select city workers that were doing something really elaborate with electrical poles in the middle of traffic like they you know it was it was kind of a afternoon rush hour there was a fair amount of traffic and they had you know uh there were people like in the middle of the street i mean they had some cones and some you know blinkers up and whatnot they were trying to thread some kind of wiring along you know across uh, an intersection um and i'm like that looks really dangerous yeah <laughs> and i was just thinking you know we always talk about how our you know our military our soldiers are our heroes you know are and about how you know the captains of industry and titans of this and that but we don't talk much about you know i mean mostly they're a subject of ridicule you know like you see a, and sometimes maybe they deserve a little you see a road work team and they're half you know three of them are standing around watching and one guy is working or something i think we've seen that but you also see like people diving into traffic working with high voltage equipment wearing all their protective gear in the middle of summer and whatnot and that's not easy and, and they're keeping the infrastructure going and well you know, yeah that's, and that's a little heroic are. to me yeah so. and you're you're absolutely right you know they're the 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 message part of the popular narrative of the right is to to um, well, it's to get rid of any government service there is. I mean, I don't know what they think, who, who they think is going to maintain the roads and the, you know, everything else that we have without some sort of government jobs. But, you know. It seems like, it seems like an awful lot of the the boondoggles that get talked about, the construction boondoggles, are are things that are being farmed out, handed out to, to private companies. Well, they they farm these things out. These companies make loads of money and they do a really crappy job. I mean, that's that's the trend in in the private sector right now, you know. It's perpetual yeah, perpetual employment on the government's dime, on the government's dime basically. Right. right. It's, I don't know. it's it's unbelievable. 
Um, so, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, they're even talking about Romney and uh, a lot of states pulling ahead of uh, of uh, Obama. And I'm not a huge Obama fan, but, you know, I mean, if Romney gets in and, and enacts all of these ridiculous austerity policies, we're really going to crash. I mean, it's going to be ugly. And like you said, like three or four episodes ago, you know, his prescription is wrong, but nobody's even talking about what the right prescription is, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you want to play a song? I didn't. Yeah, let's play a song. It's uh, Matt Schwartzer. You know, this show was kind of put together really, really quickly. We we missed last week because I was actually working on that trailer, and I lost track of time. And by the end of the day, I had like a dehydration migraine. It was unbelievable. So Ouch. by the time I got home, which was five thirty or quarter to six, um, I was in no mood to podcast. And today we're pretty discombobulated because Paul has some crazy personal stuff going on, and we're actually yeah, podcasting. Grace, is, Grace has some medical issues. We're running around seeing doctors, so we're, we've been really busy. We yeah, don't, so I we have the best a, of intentions, but we're rushing a little bit. Yeah, today's so. shows is, is not our best effort, and uh, it's like rush hour outside my house. Kind of, there's a lot of a tra- lot more traffic normally than there normally is. So you're probably hearing a lot of boo, a lot of cars and stuff going by. I'll try to edit out, you know, when I'm not talking, so you don't have to hear it. But I only had time to find one song today, and this is uh, Matt Schwartzer, that that friend of mine from Brooklyn. We've played him twice before on the show. Really talented songwriter, you know. Really like his stuff. Yeah, writes really poppy stuff. He's like Lennon and McCartney all rolled into one. So uh, <laughs> this one is called Gone Missing. So let's check it out. Nightmares gets 
So like usual, Matt Schwartzer pumping up the jams. <laughs> I love that that really classic uh, country-ish guitar tone he's getting there. It's beautiful. It's yeah, really nicely and done. And you know, I mean, uh, for our for people who aren't aware, and, and you, I know I, I may have mentioned this in the past, he was in a band called Jonas Grumby, who we played like five or six times on old podcasts. And uh, that CD was called Elephant Angel. And if you really like this stuff, and I, I love this guy's songwriting, go back and listen, you know, download those podcasts and just re-listen to the Jonas Grumby songs because it's it's Matt Schwartz are all over the place. He wrote all the stuff. But you want to hear a collection of neat guitar tones. I was in the studio for that record as an assistant engineer, and we used probably 20 different kinds of guitar amps on that record. And I bet you we, nice. used, I bet, we used to have quite a collection of really neat, cool, modern, vintage amps. I bet you we had 40 different amps at one of the stu- this studio uh, that I worked at. And, I'm, uh, I'm really sad that I didn't know you then, couldn't drop by with my guitar and spend oh, an evening screwing unbelievable. around Unbelievable. And we used to have probably 25 guitars. I mean, we had, you know, Gibson yeah. Custom Shop 12 strings and just oh. ridiculous, amazing guitars. Um, th- that studio, but anyway, on that record, there are so many cool guitar tones, either coming from a neat amp or a neat guitar. So if you're really into different kinds of guitar tones, that... Uh, Jonas Grumby yeah. stuff is is filled with it. One of these days, I'll I'll make you a copy of the CD. Oh, uh, shh! Don't, don't tell them. You know, okay, Actually, okay. Um, they wouldn't care. Uh, in fact, if I asked, you would say, "Yeah, make a copy." But I'll I'll send you some MP3s. Actually, so um, that's great. Classic stuff. Great, 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 great stuff from Matt Schwartzer. So I know y- you had a topic you were really passionate about and kind of wanted to last talk. A, a week ago. I was I was all ready to record because I was. I was uh, I was fired up, up, man. Fired up, and you know, I mean, me fired up is about like a, a squashed firefly, half as bright as you know, a dead slug. But anyway, uh, my topic was um, was Obama's drone strikes, right? And specifically, I got fired up about the the long and, in some ways, groundbreaking New York Times piece of journalism about uh, his strikes, and we can put that link in the show notes. But this was a long piece, and it was interesting to see the the New York Times doing uh, what I hadn't credited them for a while with doing much of, which was some real investigative journalism. However, and there's a lot of howevers and big butts in this like assessment. Big butts? It is you lack big, big butts. And I cannot lie, but... Um, <laughs> exactly. But, uh, man... Uh, this is it's not uh it's not adversarial in the sense that journalism should be they're not taking or, him or to was task. at one time <laughs> yeah yeah and they're uh the thing that's that drives me insane is that uh we're living in apparently a new reality and all of the uh the like the overton window of discourse that's open to talk about all this stuff like uh the the range of thought about this is you know whether this is working, whether it's appropriate, whether it's this, but uh, no one is now saying, you know what, this is not American. This is not the America that I grew up in that I was taught. This is not the civics that I grew up with. This is, um, you know, sending remote-controlled drones into foreign countries that we're not at war with, uh, picking targets on video screens. And then uh, allowing the executive branch and the CIA 
to just uh, decide that this person and this person's family need to die and pushing the button and making that happen. How is that constitutional? How is well, that everything? Well, you, you've... Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't know how much I have. I mean, well, first of all, you were asking about this isn't the America I grew up with, right? And on a, I'm just going to take that tangentially just for a second. Um, just 10 years ago or so, I was reading a, an editorial in our local newspaper, and you and I would would support the idea that, you know, if 100 people, uh, guilty people have to go free so that one innocent man never goes to jail, you know, that would be, that's, that's the way our our jurisprudence system worked, Right. It is how it's supposed to work. Yeah, but I used to see, I, I I don't know when this was or what was in the news. I don't know if this was like when Rodney King, the whole Rodney King beating was in the news. It's it's, it's a while back, but I, I saw people writing in saying, you know what? Uh, I don't care how many innocent people have to go to jail as long as we get all the bad guys in jail. And I was like, I saw that as a monumental shift in the, the thinking of the, the, the general public, you know, the you know, John Q. Public. And I was like, wow, that is, that's not only is it insanity, that, I mean, I think that kind of signaled a shift in in the way people are thinking more to this kind of thinking that you're talking about, right? Well, the the kids that are growing up now, you know, since where like post 9-11 world has always been their reality. Right. Uh, I don't, first of all, I don't think they would ever uh, even learn that there's actually a deliberative process for declaring war. Right, I don't which think we haven't would had ha- since World War II? <laughs> I would think they might not even ever learn that there is a due process for uh for war criminals for for dealing with war criminals for for you know that it's just it's we're in bizarro world i'm just i'm freaked out i mean so there are a couple hints there's a couple promising bits in the times article that talk about like uh, former chiefs of staff in the obama administration and people who are willing to criticize this this uh new process if you haven't read it i mean the summary is basically that um, the administration meets, you know, his top people get together, uh, I guess, weekly, and they have these little uh, baseball card kind of things, and which, you know, each card has a uh, suspected terrorist. And we're doing this in, in Somalia and in Yemen and in Pakistan, I believe. And um, they just go over this and then talk about it and they look at the evidence, they look at their PowerPoint slides and then uh, Obama just gives the go-ahead. You know, I'm not so sure that... and who dies. I'm not so sure this wasn't happening 30 or 40 years ago either. In fact, I know it was. It's just that it was far more covert and we weren't hearing about it, you know? Uh, the CIA is, the, is now the tail wagging the dog. Yes, I think, like, if you look at historic... Um, documents about like the Cuban Missile Crisis and about assassination attempts made on Castro and whatnot. Well, we it goes back to the Shah of Iran. Things. We've been installing dictators, sure. and yeah. um, we've been trying to overthrow regimes and install U.S. corporate friendly dictators since the the after World War II. You know, well, and I'm gonna this, I'm gonna go somewhere else with this, right? So now the United States kind of hears about these drone strikes, but they're assured we're only killing the bad guys, so they're okay with it. But let's say in the 70s and 80s, they were, the CIA was doing all this covert stuff that we weren't hearing about, and that creates something called blowback. I don't know if you're familiar exactly. with that term, right? So 
Uh, 9-11, for example, was an example of blowback, right? Absolutely, Um, yeah. The CIA goes and does all of this illegal sometimes and covert kinds of operations in other countries, and we piss them off. And then they perform some sort of attack on us, but the American people have absolutely no context for why we're being attacked. They just think it's the evil Muslims attacking us. And that's what the CIA but calls it has blowback. To do with Sharia law or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's, they it's blame the, it on the religion. But, jihad, right? But that's right. what the CIA has termed as blowback when the United States exactly. gets attacked. Um, uh, possibly and very probably because we've been meddling in their affairs. Except the American public never found out about they, it. They don't hear about all the all the history, and and frankly, so they have no the, context. They're not interested in the history. Well, they may be. Uh, How do we know? You know, there there yeah. might be a, a larger population of people than we think who are interested in it. But you know, they they've created a political climate in our country and around the world. I uh, indeed that you know people have to just worry about their week to week paychecks. They can't worry about other other stuff. So they've you know the people who pay us and make the rules and make the laws have created a climate that puts people in a position where they can't care, even if they wanted to, because they have to worry about their family. In your case, you know, your five kids and maintaining your job and don't rock the boat and all that stuff, you know? Don't rock the boat and, and don't have, and even worse, don't have any leftover time or attention. Right, you know yeah. that, you, that you can pay to to uh, political things going on. Oh yeah, that yeah. Would, that would be bad. You know, <laughs> yeah, had, you know, don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. If they start noticing the 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 dorks and the idiots and the douchebags behind the curtain pulling the strings, you know, you right. might do so something this is about all, it. This has all been, and what's what's a little more frightening is you know. I get a lot of pushback. You know, this has all been uh, declared legal by the same type of person who declared, you know, all uh, um, extraordinary rendition and torture and all that uh, and uh, indefinite detention and all those things legal, which the Obama administration is continuing, by the way. While, you know, at the same time during his campaign, he was, you know, shocked and dismayed and would, you know, would work hard to get rid of these things, continued and extended. They've all been declared legal, and now the executive branch can apparently uh, put these people through due process uh, by projecting some PowerPoint slides and, and having a meeting. And that's the due process that they deserve, and that meets the constitutional requirements, uh, according to some memos that you and I aren't allowed to read because the laws themselves are secret. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's insanity. I mean, it literally is insanity. And you know, people like you said, these post children of the post nine eleven era are are coming to think that this is normal and that this is the way things are supposed to operate, and perhaps may must have always operated you know there aren't enough people this is yeah but but i'm with you on on the on the the blowback scenario i mean this stuff is we're already creating militants so fast that one one aide said uh i think it was daily which william h william m daily chief of staff in in, uh, 2011 he said um one guy gets knocked off and the guy's driver, who's number 21, that is number 21 in Al-Qaeda, supposedly, becomes 20. Uh, at what point are you just filling the bucket with numbers? And it seems to me that the fastest way to recruit terrorists is to kill the families of people in Yemen and Somalia and Pakistan. Well, of course. And, you know, and, 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 and at the end of the day, if if 
collateral damage, to use their horrific euphemism for killing innocent children and babies and women because a bomb went astray, you know, if that were happening to people you knew or the American people who are in denial about all this, they would be pissed off about it and want to exact revenge on the people doing it as well, you know? It's yeah, just it's unimaginable it, what the what that would be like here. Literally and, unimaginable and how you know living the, in that kind of terror. You know what's funny, yeah. not funny, but sad and just bizarre is that you know it's amazing how many people that club, the CIA, is so exclusive. I mean, in my entire lifetime, there's only been a couple of CIA people who came out and have talked publicly and openly about like just the evil work that they do. And I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, but I saw him on uh, C-SPAN like 20 years ago, John Stockwell. I mean, and he was talking about, he was an operations director, which according to my friend Matt, is pretty high up in the CIA food chain. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the stuff he was talking about and the things he was involved with and the things he did. And then he finally realized this is evil. Why am I doing this? You know, and uh, but I mean, you know, he's written some books and I've Googled him recently and he's not as active as he he once was. But I mean, if there's anybody interested in kind of reading about what the CIA is doing and does from an ex-operative, you know, this uh, written from a critical perspective. I mean, there's plenty of ex-CIA and NSA people who have written books like, ooh, look at the cool stuff we do. We're protecting us from the communists. Rah, 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 you know. But um, this is written from a, a perspective uh, that's not quite as uh, uh, cheerleading, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right. I don't know. Well, it seems like uh, – it sounds like we uh, – we wound up a little unprepared but it turned into a a passionate chat and i think uh well you know before we end the show i just want to say i I had a lot of fun doing that star trek uh for live from the bridge show which we we contradicted ourselves in the intro where we said it's hot in our houses and i said oh and by the way we're going from the ridge of the starship enterprise we're also on the bridge it can be i thought it can bilocate yeah i thought it was so much fun to do that episode and to to edit in i had to i had to cut in a loop from the star trek sound effects CD, which I actually paid for and own legally, um, which I probably bought that 10 or 15 years ago. So I had to find a loop of the bridge noises and find the place where it looped well. So I actually had to spend about 15 minutes looping, finding a good place to make that loop because the the samples they gave were not really (laughs) loopable. You know, know, here it is, and here's a five-minute sample. And at one point, they'll just kick in the warp engines, you know, that noise. And and so I had to find a spot where none of that was going on, but it was the classic bridge noise. And it was only about a minute and 40 seconds long. And I dare anybody to tell me. It sounded pretty, uh, yeah, it sounded pretty good. I I wasn't hearing uh, loop points, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It took me a while. So I had to cut that in. And then, of course, the CD comes with like 75 or something like that, different sound effects. And those photon torpedoes and the button noises that I put in when I fired the photon, photon torpedoes were all in there. I just thought it was a lot of fun. I, I had been wanting to do that for years, and John and I had actually uh, intended to do that, but we just never got around to it. We had our bit of a falling out. So, but anyway, uh, I guess that's a show. So uh, this is Rich Wilgus from Utica, New York, and you are listening to were listening to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. I'm Paul Potts, and I'm sweating in Saginaw, Michigan. I can't wait to sweat again. It's been so cold here lately. But anyway, check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Send us feedback, feedback at bloodyveg.com. And leave us some voicemail. Let us know uh, that you missed us and you liked our show that was live from the Enterprise. 206-376-0397. So we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, all. 